Hi, everyone, and welcome to Academic Dean, where we connect with passionate college leaders who share their stories and viewpoints of higher education, especially lessons learned along the way. Academic Dean is sponsored by Myers-McRae Executive Search and Consulting. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dave Gercheck. Hi, everyone. Today, I'd like to welcome Dr. Lori Borowitz to our show. Dr. Borowitz is the president of Kishwaukee College in Malta, Illinois. Hi, Lori. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast today. Well, thank you, Dave. Thank you very much for having me. Well, first, can you talk a little bit about your college and why students select your institution? I believe that students select Kishwaukee College because we uh, have a uh, a strong focus on our students. We make all of our decisions based on what is in their best interests, and we really work to meet their needs where they're at at this particular point in their lives. Approximately uh, 70% of our students are transfer students. We're six miles down the road from Northern Illinois University. So we do have a higher than average, I would say, for most community colleges percent of, of transfer students. Um, So I think that probably is a big draw for us. I also think um, most recently, uh, we've, the last couple of years, we've been doing well with our enrollments. And and I really think a part of that, Dave, what is driving uh, those enrollments to do well right now is the fact that we've stuck with a lot of online instruction. We're at about a 50-50 split with on-campus, online, a few hybrid, um, but the majority of um, our students are are split between the online and the face-to-face. So I think a lot of colleges are trying to go back to the way it used to be and get students on campus. And, and while I know we can debate what's the best learning modality for students, I think it's interesting that the end, at the end of the day, so many of them choose online because of the convenience. And we are dealing with a generation of young people coming into our colleges who did so much remote learning in high school. So I think they, they've just really adapted to that uh, modality of learning and whether they prefer it or not, they've discovered the convenience. And again, so many of our students, um, you know, are, are students who are working part-time and so looking for that convenience in their schedule. So I think so, those are some of the reasons why students pick our college. Uh, we we really try to do great things and uh, listen to them, take the feedback and make the changes based on what they have to say about us. Yeah, that that number of 70% for transfer is, holy cow, that's, that's a little high. So, you know, when you talk about uh, students uh, coming to a to a two year school and then moving to a to another school. I'm always impressed that uh, they say sometimes the students may not have the uh, may not have the rigor to to go ahead and do that. And it's like they they seem to be the smart students to to go ahead and save some money before they start their education. I was curious. Do you have any idea if I was a parent? Do you have any idea of of my savings of basically doing the first two years at your school? We, when we've done tuition analysis, we're about a third of the price Holy of cow. the four-year institution. So, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to, you're going to save um, a considerable amount of money, especially if you're looking at going to a four-year university that has a housing requirement. Yeah. You know, if you've got to live on campus, that, that gets expensive. So I really do believe it is the smart thing to do starting at a community college, transferring 
I have older children who are in their 30s and very successful, and they both did a stint at a community college before transferring on for various reasons, but it it just really worked for them. I wouldn't say money was the biggest driver for them, but but other things like close to home, small campus, not wanting to live in the dorms right away. Yeah. Some of some of those factors that that drove them to the community college and it really has worked out for them. I think the trick when you're starting at a community college or really even if you're at a four-year university, the trick in all of this is to do the best job you can at knowing what you want when you start. Students lose credit in transfer, whether they're going from college to college in a university or from a community college to a university when they've taken things that don't count in their major program. So I think that's a really big deal. And we have moved our uh, our CSD 100, which is our our basic career and college services class, to the first semester to make sure that we help students pick their major, look at what university might be a good transfer university for them to help them do their planning, their course planning and college planning uh, with intention and not taking courses that necessarily sound good, but maybe taking courses that yes, sound good, but also work in your major. I think that's uh, the biggest trick for for all students. And like I said, that can happen to you when you transfer in a university and you change your major, the same thing can happen. You can lose a lot of credits because you've taken things that don't count for for your intended degree. So I think that's um, that's a really big deal. And, and we've put a lot of emphasis on that. Uh, my background before I went into higher education, I was a high school counselor. And then I spent most of my time in, um, in student services. So, so this is an area I'm very familiar with and very passionate about. And, um, and I know it can be done. I've seen it with lots of students who've been successful and they kind of know what they want out of the gate, so to speak. Yeah. Well, what's new on campus? So what's new? Well, we love to be cutting edge at Kishwaukee College. We have a board that likes us to be in front of the game. And I have a leadership team that that also uh, is very ambitious and looking for what's the best way to serve our students. We're in uh, year three of guided pathways implementation. So we're getting close to the end there. 27% of our classes right now are eight week classes. At some point, my CAO tells me we're gonna pull the trigger, hopefully and flip over uh, because eight week classes is hard on students who load up half of a semester. So the more you can have uh, lots of options in the eight week format, the better it is uh, for those students. And then you start to see the results of of going to the eight week format in your retention um, and course completion. Uh, We also, you know, continue to um, meet industry needs and look at what is the industry telling us. We have people in our communities and our advisory committees where we're getting business feedback and what are the things that are needed in our communities and we create primarily short-term programming. I think that's the name of the game right now in career and technical education when you're creating new to really look at how do we how do we do this in the short term and how do we do it uniquely with industry partners. So um, the newest one we did this year was appliance repair. Very proud of that. They do coursework on campus, but all of the um, actual work on appliances is done at uh, an actual appliance 
business. They donated the space and the equipment. So it's a very unique partnership and it's a cost-effective way for us to provide the training because we continue to hear the needs in the communities in this area. You know, let's talk a little bit more about that eight, the eight-week courses because I because I've watched colleges kind of dabble in this. My question is, I know it's uh, I know the students like it if they can get all their courses, of course, on eight weeks. Mm-hmm. How's the how does the faculty handle that? Because the load's really on them to kind of rewrite an entire syllabus to meet from fifteen weeks to eight weeks. Absolutely, and I would say that that's why we have some areas that we've had more success in converting to eight weeks and some that it's just, it's just more difficult. I would say the sciences, the math and sciences are areas where we just have to rework it. And so we continue to look at opportunities um, to incentivize our faculty, to help them have the capacity, have the time, have the resources to do the conversion of their classes. So it's, it's not something you can do in a year, right? You can't say, okay, next year, we're going to be all eight week classes. It's an evolution and it takes us time. And and while I think that helps us catch things before we do it and then not do it so well, it, it can also be a problem for us, uh, Dave, as maybe sometimes we move too slow. Oh, so yeah. we're, we're trying to find the sweet spot. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're really doing it well because I, I agree. I, I can't imagine just turning your whole campus over to eight-week classes. So you kind of have to baby step it a little bit. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, how is your college adapting to the changing landscape of higher ed? I think the biggest adaptation we are making is really looking at modality. We have D10 um, screens that can do Zoom instruction or face-to-face instruction in classrooms and in meeting rooms around campus. We uh, do Zoom quite a bit. We do remote instruction. Um, We do remote services. Uh, I have heard from student services that we have better attendance for advising appointments Mm. since we started using Zoom than when we were doing face-to-face. Because again, the convenience, Uh, a student is running late from work or runs into something or is just busy playing their video game and doesn't make it to campus on time, well, they can hop on a Zoom link and still keep their appointment. So I really think that that's a big part of it is just, we have embraced and adapted and supported the technology changes and they're gonna keep coming and we know it. So I would say um, that that's uh, one of the things that we have really done related to technologies. One of our next big frontiers, I'll call it a big frontier is textbook affordability. Uh, and, and that kind of is incorporated in technology because, you know, there's all these codes for courses that, that really do help, help um, provide uniform uh, instruction across, you know, different instructors or uh, they, they're definitely supports for our students, extra credit work, um, maybe time to grading is improved, but those all come at a big cost. And so how do we balance the needs of faculty who rely on that to really support them in their instruction with the cost to our students? So we are exploring and um, OERs, so many colleges are looking at OERs as we are uh, continuing to find affordable um, ways to 
to help our students learn and what are the resources they need in order to um, to make it affordable um, to have the textbooks. You know, I think we all see the data on how many students don't buy their textbooks because they don't have the resources to buy them and how many more are successful because they have their textbooks or their resources. But at the end of the day, how do we how do we make it work for all of our students, even those who who maybe can't afford the textbooks yeah. and make sure that they're buying them and make sure that what we ask them to buy is used. I think that's another um, important um, consideration when you're looking at the cost of instructional resources. Make sure we're using them because if we're not using them or there's another way we could get them, let's let's save that expense and save it for another course where maybe those codes and those additional uh, materials uh, are really beneficial to our students. So we want them to spend their money on that. Or at the end of the day, does there need to be a way where institutions can, um, can look at absorbing some of those costs and just make it, make it a part of our business? Yeah. So lots to explore in that area of textbooks. Um, this affordability issue is definitely a passion of mine. Yeah. yeah. Very good point. Good points. Um, how's your college preparing students for today's workforce? We have advisory committees, as all current technical education programs have for their um, programs, their accreditation. So we get twice a year, we get industry input into, you know, what are we teaching? What are the latest trends? What should we continue to teach? What should we maybe stop teaching? Um, but I think one of the biggest things, and I don't know too many who people who would disagree with this or <laughs> should disagree with this, this artificial intelligence is going to rock our world as far as what we teach, how we teach, and how we prepare students for the workforce. If there's efficiencies to be gained, if there's time to be saved, no doubt businesses are going to want to um, have AI as part of their work environment. So what are we doing to help students uh, understand the world of AI and be able to work in that world. So I think that um, is one of the one of the biggies that's um, upon us, and we're we're embracing it and and looking at opportunities what we can do there um, to help our students use it effectively because there's probably lots of ways to use it not to their best advantage. So um, yeah. wrestling yeah. with that for sure. Yeah, I you know um, this year the uh, AI has finally popped on the screen on the podcast. You know, because two years ago nobody was really talking about it, and all of a sudden mm -hmm. with ChatGPT, you know, you're starting to see that. And it's really kind of interesting because no matter what, we're, we have to dive into it. It's gonna it's gonna be there, and so you know, it's just not a it's just not a cheating tool. You know, I mean, people they can use it to their advantage, but you're trying to figure out how to how to do that. So good for you guys that you're. You're spending some time and trying to help your students with understanding how to use use the information, not abuse the information. Well, and you know, I, no doubt the first reaction all, for all of us was we got to figure out how to keep them from using it, right. quit cheating, and and I have no doubt we have a, a healthy population of instructors, professors who who probably are still trying to figure that out. But I think. I think the recognition and understanding that maybe that isn't what we can, do. we aren't going to be able to do that. We're not going to be able to stop this. Yeah. Um, so, so how do we embrace it? And yes, I've listened to a number of podcasts 
trying to educate myself about AI and how we can use it in education um, and, and make sure we're doing justice to our students. Um, it's, it's a, it's a big one. Um, but I, but I think there are some, there's some good information out there on, on what we can do to move forward. And so we are trying to embrace it and, and figuring out how we go forward with, in a world with so much artificial intelligence. Do you have any unique or innovative programs that distinguishes your college from others? Definitely. We have some regional programs. A couple of them, we have a, a horticulture program and it's a big horticulture program. And we are, our college is situated physically in, in the middle of a corn or soybean field, whichever the year is. Um, so rotating crops, but horticulture is definitely part of our culture, our heritage in, in this north central part of Illinois that we're in. And so we embrace that and um, get students from a lot of different areas. Uh, many um, of our employers will come out of the Rockford area or out of the eastern part of our district. We border up to the collar counties like Elgin and St. Charles. And so, so we do a regional service um, with our horticulture program. The same is with our, and it's sort of related, is our diesel technician program, which uh, started out with ag equipment, but really has moved into all diesel engines, repair, maintenance. And that too is a regional program. I think a couple of these, um, not all colleges have or can afford to have because of the space commitment they take to do our diesel program. We have a huge building um, and lots of <laughs> lots of trucks and tractors and diesel engines. And, and so it's just the space. So if you haven't been in the game for a while, it's an expensive startup program. And, and I would say the same with horticulture because you need the greenhouse and you need the headhouse and you, you need the garden area um, to grow plants and and we've been doing a lot with technology in our greenhouse the last few years and making sure that we are preparing students for a technologically advanced um, growing uh, workforce work workplace so I would say those are two that come to mind readily that are more regional programs that I would say um, that we have. I also think our on, we do our associate's degree online, fully online. And I think that's unique. Uh, again, probably goes to our strength of our high enrollments with our um, transfer. But, but I, I, I think it's a, a great thing. And we have some three plus one agreements. And one of our projects this year is to really uh, do a better job with our website and marketing those three plus ones, because they're a great opportunity. You know, you hear about the cost of higher education, you hear about the indebtedness of people after they graduate. Well, there are some options and we want to make sure people recognize the options that are available through Kishwaukee College to get an affordable degree. Quality, but affordable. Good point. Uh what opportunities does the college offer for personal or professional growth then? So we are not big into the, we've, we've tried, we've tried a number of things in the personal development, but honestly, I, I, I wonder, not sure we have the answer, but wonder if with the rise of the internet and just in time information that if people want to figure out uh, some of those things we used to teach, um, they can, they can get it online. We also, like I mentioned, we're close to Northern Illinois University. We have a lot of community organizations that do like 
you know, painting classes or, or some of those personal enrichment. But we do do uh, some other things, you know, that focus on like lifelong learning, um, mm-hmm. continuing education. We do some leadership development. We have run some cohorts for some public entities, uh, kind of a grow your own leadership program for organizations. Short-term training is really big. Like I had mentioned earlier, when we're looking at new programming, we really are looking at how do we do it short-term and then do stackable credentials. So um, we do a lot of that. We we do uh, have um, programs that, again, support our industries in our area. Yeah, you're, you're kind of talking a little bit about credentialing. And so, you know, with these micro-credentials now, how do you see micro-credentials impacting higher ed? Well, they're going to impact higher ed and the the companies behind the micro-credentials are going to impact higher ed. So we're, we're checking it out. We're figuring out what they're doing, how we, and, and how we get in that game. I think that's, that's the biggest thing. Like, how do we partner? How do we become a part of that? Or how do we get out of the way if we can't if we can't meet the needs and find our niche. Um, sometimes you just can't do it like somebody else can do it. And so, so then you either partner or step aside. And, um, but there's, there's plenty of space for us out there. This world of higher education is big. And so we'll, we'll continue to find our niches and serve our, our communities. Yeah. And, and you mentioned stackables too, which I think I, I love to hear that term because students come and they get something and they come back and they get something else. It's just, it, they can kind of build a pathway to, to the future that they want. Yeah. The young people anymore just don't seem to be interested in saying, oh yeah, I'm going to spend four years of my life getting a degree that's going to cost me six figures. They, that's just overwhelming to them. They don't live that far into the future. So this notion of coming for a year or two years, and you know, the more we can do dual credit with our high schools, and we have a, a lot of programming, uh, dual credits, about 17% of our credits at our college are dual credit. So not as high as, as others I've heard. Actually, I'm very pleased with that ratio because I think that's a good, a, a good amount. Um, but if you can help those young people get some of those credits out of the way while they're in high school, then it doesn't seem so daunting going to college and spending even two years getting a degree because maybe it's a year or a year and a half. So I think, um, I think this ability to say, come and do this and then do this and, and let them add on. And part of it is, I think they're going to just need the experience of going into business and recognizing that yes, you can get a good, you can get a decent wage to start out. But if you want, if you want more, you're going to need that credential. And, and I think those are some of the conversations um, that we're having. And we just need to have the resources and the, the tools or the products to sell to students when they say, okay, well, I, I really didn't want all of that then, but now I want this and it's going to mean I need this. So help me figure out how I get yeah. that based on what I've already earned at Kishwaukee College. And so I'm excited about some of those things. And, and again, like I said, there's space for us and lots of opportunities. We have a, we really have a great reputation in our communities. I, I moved from Wisconsin when I became the president of Kish and, and I've been so impressed with the reputation of the college in the local communities. Um, they they really um, embrace 
what we do, how we do it and how we've been doing it for 56 years. So it's impressive. (laughs) Well, how is your college collaborating with local businesses to create mutually beneficial relationships to address regional challenges in your area? Um, You know, I I talked about the appliance repair program we started. I would say that 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 is the biggest. And I have no doubt at some point we're going to be having those conversations about artificial intelligence. Like what are the competencies that you're looking for and how can we incorporate those and what are we doing for you? So I think that's such an evolving area. We're changing. Yes, but, but so is the business world. And so we'll just, the best thing, in my opinion, the best thing we can do is be partners and we make sure that students understand employability skills and critical thinking and problem solving and, how you work on a team. And, you know, if we can deliver graduates with those skills, we're, we're probably going to be doing very well. Well, when did you become president there? In 2016, January of 2016, I was, um, I signed my contract in the fall of 15 and started in January. So um, it'll be eight years this January. Well, well, let's talk about that. Talk about the path that led you to become the president. at Yeah. Talking about career paths, what was my career path? <laughs> if anybody, uh, if my younger self, if anybody would have asked me if I was ever going to be a college president, I, I would say no. And even when I started my doctorate, that was the big question. Oh, are you going to be a president someday? I'm like, no. I just said, I want to be able to do whatever I want. And if I have the doctorate, I can teach, I can do whatever. Um, but I am, <laughs> but I am a person who um, does something for a while and then I'm looking for a new challenge or opportunity. And and so uh, after the, the college I worked at uh, previous to this, North Central Technical College up in Wausau, Wisconsin, I had been there for 16 years. I had four different jobs and, and I thought, oh, I'm just ready to do something different. I think so many people think being a president is, oh, you've got all this autonomy and, oh, you get to just do your own thing and, you know, make all the decisions and <laughs> you have so many masters as a president, you've got the community and you've got you know, the, the legislators and you've got HLC and you've got, um, your unions and you've got, um, your board, you know, we have seven people on our board at Kish and in, in Illinois, that's a seven person and a student trustee. And and you've got your students and you've got the community who are taxpayers who have something to say about what you do. And so it really is these, these positions, and I could speak on this Dave forever because this stuff, I really like this leadership (laughs) stuff. Um, you, you really, you have to figure out how to, in my opinion, bring people together, sell your product, help them understand why you're doing what you're doing. Um, but, but how you keep the waters calm, like how, how do you make that happen? And, um, it's, it's a lot of work, but I will say that I feel like, um, learning how to listen very well when I got my master's in counseling. And um, just, you know, being respectful and, and knowing that we're all a team, whether it's legislators and I, or the executive team and I, or the board and I, or the faculty union and I, recognizing that this leadership thing really is a facilitator for everybody else. And so it's, it's not being king of the hill. In fact, very seldom I feel like the king of the hill, maybe at graduation, maybe <laughs> <laughs> at graduation. Well, what, what qualities do you think a college president should have then to be successful? Well, I think they have to have a lot of grit. 
<laughs> I love that word. Yep. Oh, yeah. You've got to be able to um, take some punches and get back up and persevere. I It gets better. I, I've said that about year six, I felt like I changed the culture and, and it, it's definitely gotten better. Um, I think you have to be a really good listener. Um, I think you have to be a team player. I think you have to like people mm. and, and be respectful of people's differences, but you have to be at times you just have to be tenacious. Yeah. You just have to do what's the, what you and your gut feel like is the best thing. And, um, even if not a lot of people are standing with you, there's times when you've got to say, you know what, we just got to do this and we've got to try it. And you can't be afraid of failure and to say you're sorry or that you messed up. And, yeah. um, so, so those, that's my opinion. Um, it, they're hard jobs. There's no doubt the hardest job I've ever had by yeah. far. Um, well, you mentioned graduation. So besides graduation, what's your favorite part about being a president? Oh, knowing I make a difference, mm, what a great uh, knowing answer. that uh, I make the world a better place for students who are choosing to come to Kishwaukee College to get their degree um, or just to come and have an experience at Kish, even if they don't end up getting their degree. Sometimes it's those little interventions that make a significant difference, but it's, you know, it's hard to not believe in higher education, it, at least from my perspective. Um, transforming lives, making them better, um, finding, helping them find the path they want to be on and, and helping them be successful. And for me as a president, I feel like a big part of my job is removing the roadblocks for our students. Like, no, we're not going to follow that process because how does that help our students? Or why are we charging that? Is that a good expense for our students? And, and so the ability to be able to ask those questions and and make people think about those things. That that's why that's what um, makes me love the job. Well, how is your college incorporating community service and civic engagement in the educational process? You know, I we definitely through our student clubs and activities do a lot of volunteer work in the community. We are because we're in uh, an area, 100,000 people, uh, that's our population of our district, just a little over 100,000. So a lot of people know a lot of people. And um, so I think organically, we end up doing a lot of volunteerism, community service. There's a real sense in our communities of how we help each other. We have very philanthropic people who support our foundation, who help us with a food pantry and um, significant scholarships for our students. Um, we can pretty much cover the textbooks of incoming nursing students our first semester because of the scholarships that come in for our nursing program. And um, just, so it, there's such a sense of community service. Um, it, just, it just happens organically. Mm. Well, here's my last question. What advice would you give to prospective students and their families when choosing the right college or university for their education? That, that one's right up your alley with your history, huh? <laughs> yeah, and I think I've talked about this quite a bit. You know, visit the school. See if you feel you, like you fit. Is the language student focused? Do they talk about how they take care of their students? And that's why they exist, right? Why do we exist? 
because of we're we're trying to you know help our students uh, create the life they want to live right so it's those kinds of things and that affordability piece is a really big deal too you know it's like when you buy a car maybe you'd like a jaguar but you know what that price tag is pretty high so i'm gonna go with the uh, ford <laughs> just so so i think it's that as well um but that doesn't mean the ford is bad right the ford is still a really good car so I think sometimes we need to look at college that way. Like, do you, and does the most expensive give us the best outcome? I dare say in our space, no. I think we are affordable and we are the best local choice because of small classrooms, because of our caring environment, because of how we can do more one-on-one -on -one things because we are smaller. So I think that's a piece. Look at that affordability. Student loans are no fun to pay back. So how can you do this a little bit differently? And I think families should recognize that. And, and I think this is also, Dave, part of the reason why our enrollments are up post-COVID is I think people are recognizing that, that maybe it's okay to stay local. Maybe we don't need to spend all that money to go out and, and live in the dorms. And yeah, you like it for like a, a month or two, and then <laughs> you're not so fun. You know, no one's cleaning your dirty clothes or helping you organize your dirty clothes or taking you out to eat or, you know, cooking you food and you're kind of sick of that cafeteria. You know, I think, I think it seems like fun at first, um, but then the reality hits and, and there's no reason you can't have that experience when you're a little bit older and you have a few more resources, right? You can move to a new city, get an apartment, have a job, make some decent money. Um, so I, I think, I think sometimes um, people get sold on that idea of, oh, I'm 18. I got to get away. I got to go do my own thing. Maybe, but maybe find other ways to do it than go live in the dorms um, or move away from home for college. There's a lot that to be said for having a support network around you while you're going to school, especially when you're first starting it. Oh, what I talked oh go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I, I talked earlier about picking that major right away. Right. Do, do it as soon as you can. And, and it's not rocket science figuring out what someone could major in. And I think, um, I know we did a program back when I was a counselor, it was called a call to parents to help parents work with their children on picking their career. And, you know, nobody knows their children better than the parents, right? And helping them see what they want to do or, you know, watch what they play with, watch what they spend their time on and, and find a career and especially a career that they can get a job <laughs> and pay back those student loans if they take out the student loans or whatever they do. I don't want you to, I don't want people listening to this think I'm saying, oh no, four-year college out of the gate is not the right thing. Nope. It, it really depends, but just um, make sure you're thinking about all those things when you're making the decisions. Um, I did not do a community college. I went to a major university. I have my degree from UW-Madison. I went there as a freshman. It was a tough transition, but 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 I did it for the right reasons, and and I did okay. Um, stumbled a bit in the beginning, but you know who doesn't when they go to college. So uh, I think I think those are my pieces of advice. Do what works for you. I I I was getting ready to say I think that's that's the take home message is is students are different. So what, what's, what's the need of this student may be different than the needs of that other student. But to be honest though, because uh, I was a Dean and my entire career was always at a two-year school in, inside within a university I was embedded, but I always liked 
being able to walk in as a dean and sit in a classroom. Those classrooms all sh- are quite smaller at a, at a two-year school. And boy, that's a nice way to start your first year, having a little bit smaller classroom to get you on the path. Absolutely. I agree. And people know you. Um, you know, you're not taking tests with your social security number. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Lori, thanks so much for being on the show. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Yes. Thank you, Dave, for having me. And and I enjoyed it as well. Always love talking about what I do. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode and make sure to visit our website at academicdean.com. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Academic Dean is sponsored by Myers-McRae Executive Search and Consulting. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time.